0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you very much for tuning in for this week's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and with me today is John Wood. John and I will be continuing in our ongoing discussion of 1 Peter. Today we'll be focusing on Tim Cockrell's recent sermon based in chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. So, John, hey, welcome. Good to have you back with us. And uh, John, you're a newly minted elder here in our church, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to spend some time with you today discussing this particular passage in a book from another elder of God's church.
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Bart. Appreciate you having me on. And it's, uh, yeah, it's um, just a couple of weeks into the new journey of uh, being an elder here at Grace and obviously love our church family and already been a great blessing and thankful for Tim's faithful preaching of the word in this past Sunday and look forward to talking about it with you.
0: Well, you and Ellen and the kids have been here for a How long, John?
1: Uh, We came around 2017. Right. Yep. And so it's been a great journey uh, and uh, really been a, a great part of, of our own spiritual growth and
0: hope to invest in the church family along the way. Well, if you're engaged here at Grace, I know uh, John and Ellen would be happy to come over for dinner some night or coffee. And, oh yeah, uh, I'll be looking for those yeah, invitations. Go. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, John, on to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. In the very first sentence of this passage, Peter introduces the concept of rejoicing. And even in the midst of trials, he says, but he introduces the the idea of rejoicing by referring to the prior passage he says in verse 6 in this you rejoice so instead of just jumping right in the middle let's get a little run up to it a running start into this week's passage take a little little talk a little bit about what comes right before where we start here
1: Yes, absolutely. So great Bible reading. We see the word this, and that immediately poses the question to us, what's he referring to? And so we need to to reach back into the context just a little bit earlier, and it happens to be just one of my favorite passages of the New Testament there in 1 Peter, because there in verses 4 and 5, Peter describes our salvation in a way that just makes our hearts sing. He says, we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance and he uses these key words imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you and it's just such a great and powerful statement of what god has done to enact salvation for us and as he's done that we're guarded we're imperishable we're undefiled and the beauty of that then is now paul gets or peter rather gets to, to verse 6 and says it's in that salvation that we rejoice. So to put a fine point on it, in this you rejoice, it's Peter saying, in this salvation that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven by God's power for you. That's what we're rejoicing in.
0: Sounds pretty secure.
1: It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? It just it, For me, that that description of our salvation was one of the major pieces that the Holy Spirit used to settle my struggle with the assurance of salvation at a particular season of my life. And so I go back to that one over and over and over again. And especially when I talk to young people who are really struggling in their assurance of salvation, that's exactly where I take them to say, look at what God is doing in his salvation with you.
0: Well, this whole idea of, of rejoicing as a Christian in times of trials, uh, uh, it's it's hard to get through it sometimes, especially when you're in the midst of trials, but I, I really resonated with one of Tim's opening statements on Sunday. He said that the concept of a Christian's rejoicing through trials, and, and I think I'm quoting here, so Tim, if you're listening, it's it may not be exactly, but we're about there. Uh, is that uh, the concept of a Christian's rejoicing through trials is not a Christian masochism. It's a lot easier for the glass-half-full person like me, and that's what I yeah. am. I can have that joy in trials, but it's not as easy for a glass-half-empty person. Well, or is it?
1: Well, so I'll jump in on the other side of that, because I am i would be more so wired as a glass-half-empty person. Okay. So I need your joy, for okay. sure. Yeah, And, um, you know, I think... Uh, part of my personal journey in that even through a season of trial and suffering and some pain, that I think back to a particular season of life in college, where I I grew up in a non-Christian home. There was lots of brokenness related to that. And I got to college and really started to grow in my faith, and it was a fantastic season of life. But in the midst of all that, my parents finalized a divorce, and there were many hard things about that season as well. And in that season, uh, passages like this— uh, that you find here or in James chapter one or Romans mm-hmm. chapter five about rejoicing and suffering, there was a part of me that of course I knew God's word and I wanted to obey it and I was reading it and, and taking it in. But there was also a part of me in my experience that that really struggled to lay hold of that and for my heart to feel as though I could rejoice in trial because there was real pain. And what what God was kind to do through his word and through the church that I was a member of at the time in college, which is wonderful, and some godly men in my life who just patiently loved and counseled me, that through that, what I came to see was that, that this is not about a certain mm. affect. Uh, rejoicing and mm. suffering is not about a personality. And so as the glass-half-empty introvert that John Wood is, uh, that's going to look a little bit differently. Now, what it does need to look like for all of us is that we have to lay hold of a convictional, ground-level assurance that God is for us, that his love is being poured out upon us, that we can be thankful that external circumstances aren't going to knock us off of our course with the Lord, and that there is an objective reality in our lives to say even though circumstances might be grievous, that there is an abiding joy that comes from God, there's a satisfaction in Christ that we experience in life that is real and is untouched. And I'll go back to verse four and those words about our salvation. It can be imperishable, undefiled, unfading, because God is producing it within us, not circumstances of this world. And that's what it looked like for me. And and then just to land the point as Peter goes further in the passage there in verse eight, he says this, though you have not seen Christ, you loved him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I think that's what it's like. We can lament on the outside during grief and pain and trial, and on the inside still be filled with a joy that's inexpressible, where our hearts are saying, God, you're so good. God, I know I'm your child. God, I know I can be at peace in you, even though without trials abound.
0: And he is faithful in that. Christian joys for everybody. There you All go. Believers. Great. Thank you. I appreciate your personal testimony there. That's so important for us to hear. And you know, to that point, we don't always do that enough, do we? And even in within our church body, we don't share the hard things. Absolutely
1: no. We we can really be tempted to come in and out of church on autopilot and in some sense do church but never really be real. Yeah. With one another, and and we all, you know, are tempted towards that. But let's uh, let's commit now, as Grace Baptist Church and as a family, to say uh, the the how are you doing question on Sunday morning can be met with, you know, it is kind of a hard week, or it was stressful, or you know, I'm, I'm really just struggling with this area of life, and that be a normal part of our rhythm and conversation uh, that that really helps us edify one another.
0: And to take that one step further, we also need to be ready to hear that. And respond appropriately to it, right? Oh, that's right. So not, yeah. I'm not talking just elders or deacons or church leaders. I'm talking all of us. That's
1: right. Now, when we ask the question, uh, "Well, how are you doing this morning, Bart?" on a Sunday morning, uh, we we ought not do so as the functional form of <laughs> "Hey, how you doing?" Now, I'm going to get my coffee and go yep, sit down. Exactly. It Don't needs to be exactly. Just give me a "Oh, I'm fine," and let's move on. Yeah. No, it needs to be asked with a genuine spirit and willingness to pause, listen and really enter into the world of the brother or sister who we're
0: checking on. John, Tim and I uh, talked last week about the importance of good doctrine, especially during difficult times, and we've talked about this. I mean, no matter what passage of Scripture you're in, I mean, good doctrine is essential. Uh, We talked about the importance of understanding biblical doctrine, specifically in anticipation of such times, but what about someone who's kind of they're beaten down under the you know under the circumstances? I'm doing okay. Well, they're beaten down under the circumstances. They they may be a believer, but they aren't really strong in their understanding of doctrine. What can you and I or anybody who's listening be doing to encourage that person who may not have the strong underpinnings? Sure, I think that's a
1: great question because we all find ourselves there at some point, and even you when you we don't
0: understand all things about yeah, God? Yeah, so even okay. when
1: we've yeah. studied uh, the Word of God quite a bit and reflected on the Lord a lot, and this, this called to mind, uh, again, a, a personal season of life where a uh, different trial than I mentioned before, but... I was walking through a season of some professional trial, and then there was just a, a loss of a loved one in our family and some grief on that front, and, and it seemed all about in life, whichever way I turned. There was trial. There was there was something difficult to navigate. There was stress and so forth, and my walk with the Lord was in, in certain ways certainly fine, but in other ways, uh, there was actually a brother who entered in during that season, and just really owned speaking truth into my life. Regular text messages, regular check-ins, just in conversation. And every single one of those included some reminder about the character of God. Mm. And, and that brother explained to me that later that's what he was doing pointing me to the faithfulness of God, pointing me to the love of God, pointing me to the unchanging nature of God, something about God's character and nature. And looking back on that season, now what I see is that it took that brother and his clarity and his season of life to be able to focus on and really lay hold of the character of God and to speak that truth into my life. And that doctrinal foundation strengthened me along the way. So perhaps maybe on a two-level answer to your question there, what, what you've got on the one hand is the more we know the Lord, the more we can trust his character, which is what anchors us in times of trial. And that's the connection between doctrine or right understanding of God and how we walk through those seasons. And then to loop back around to what you touched on earlier about the body life of a church. Well, us speaking truth and love to one another, every member. Uh, whatever level of leadership or not holding a position, all that's to some degree irrelevant in God's eyes because we all are one body. Who should be speaking the truth and love to one another?
0: And, and I think this is a transferable concept too, John, to uh, child rearing or be whether you're a, a parent or a grandparent, um, giving your children uh, appropriate understanding who, who God is, but also helping them to understand kind of the, the a doctrine of mankind, if you will, in the, in as much as we say, look, this is what going to, is going to happen if you go this way. And I can remember at least one of my children sharing with that individual numerous times, well, look, I see what you're doing, and here's what I think is going to happen. Oh, it really honked them off when it happened, like I said it was going to happen. But it's just natural. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So under, helping them to understand how man is wired, yeah. what God has made man to do, and what God does, it's not hard to figure it out sometimes.
1: That's right. That's right. God's wisdom all right, gives us a roadmap. And so speaking out of that wisdom— will lead the way. Uh, perhaps another doctrinal anchor. We've now discussed the character of God, the theology of, of who we are as human beings and the doctrine of man. Uh, maybe another one that this passage touches on is uh, our future hope. I mean, the fact that in our... Uh, eschatology, which sometimes we get uh, a little bit. Divine eschatology for yeah, somebody. So eschatology, listening. right, is the, the theological word terminology for uh, the return of Christ and the ultimate design and end of which God's creation is headed towards. And as we know in the book of Revelation, particularly chapters 21 and 22, that's towards a uh, life with Him in new heavens and new earth. So sometimes we hear that topic and we think, oh man, the people can't agree on that and I don't even <laughs> want to think about it, right? But actually it's where our, our, our hope is anchored. And so the more we have clarity about that day in terms of the return of the Lord and the reality that uh, what can anybody do to me if I'm secure in the love of Christ for all of eternity, well, that will anchor us today. And there's a doctrinal truth that's anchoring everyday life right now.
0: And Peter's talking straight to that, absolutely. Uh, You're looking forward. Let's look back for a moment, okay? Verse 10, Peter references, and I'm quoting here from the Scripture, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be theirs or ours. Why do you think it's important that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, shares about the prophets' message of salvation?
1: Well there's there's several important things about this. One is that it's demonstrating that there's a beautiful unity to the Bible. This message of the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't just pop out of thin air and it was not an invention of the apostles teaching. And so by referencing the apostle or the prophets rather, Peter even as an apostle in his writing is showing a continuity. And this is not something that the, the disciples invented. In Luke chapter 24, we see Jesus explaining to his disciples, beginning with Moses on through the Old Testament, as we call it, uh, how all points to him in his fulfillment of that. And so here's Peter rooting the gospel message of Jesus Christ and all that's going on in what God's plan has been from the beginning. And along the way, that shows us there's also a progressive nature to how God has communicated in his revelation that he has worked and not all was revealed to those prophets. The promise of the coming Messiah, and now all that's said there comes to bear on our obedience to Jesus, because he's the fulfillment of what the prophets said.
0: So let's let's dig just a little deeper there. Uh, you t- it's really you're talking about the what we sometimes refer to as the meta narrative of Scripture. It starts clear back in in uh, the creation, Genesis. Walk through with me just a few of those key passages that we see, um, starting in. If, if you wouldn't mind, I know I'm hitting you cold here. Starting in Genesis, let's. Uh, what are some of those? Oh, prophecies?
1: Yeah. So I think um, what you want to see is is these moments where the themes of Scripture tie together. And very early in the storyline, at the the point of creation and then fall, there's a key passage there in Genesis three sixteen. Where it's uh, the, the curses are being given to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And one of those curses towards the serpent is that uh, his head will be crushed by an offspring, a seed of the woman, and he will bruise the heel of the one who crushes his head. And so, in some sense, then we can trace throughout the Bible that there is a snake crushing offspring baby to be born eventually and you can see that happening throughout scripture there's a king in genesis 49 who are expecting to come from the tribe of judah who will hold the scepter as a symbol of of kingly power and rule you see in um, the uh, ministry or the life of abraham right that an offspring will come Uh, there's going to be a descendant you can connect that through uh, different covenants of the Scripture, but another high point I'll point to is in the Davidic covenant, that uh, there will be a king to rule in the best ways that David was a ruler over mm-hmm. Israel, uh, in truth and righteousness as an offspring of him forever. And that's why the book of Matthew starts really as New- Old Testament 2.0 with a genealogy for the to make the point, Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham, to connect all of those promises together from A to Z or Genesis to Revelation, if you will.
0: Good doctrine, so important. And just understanding the Bible, what better way to understand the Bible than to read it? That's and, right. and somebody might say, I'm not a professional theologian. I don't do this for a living. We happen to be in a college town, and, and we see a lot of that. But just planning you're at the, we're at the beginning of the year planning to read through the scripture systematically getting an idea of what it you know seeing how it all ties together is really a good a good thing to do and understand what God is saying to us
1: oh absolutely absolutely it's a rhythm that's changed my life and uh, anybody can start by reading a little bit of Bible there you go on a regular basis.
0: The Bible instructs believers to bear one another's burdens. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to go a little deeper in this as well. We're to build up, or it says to edify one another. This isn't only the domain of the elder or the deacon, the church leader, but what are some other practical ways that our church members can be proactive in helping each other in our respective and, and sometimes collective trials?
1: Sure. Well, uh, one of the things I love to do is, is to every once in a while revisit the one another's of the New Testament. And if you go through the New Testament letters time and time again, uh, Paul especially uses this phrase uh, of one another, and it's preceded by some some verb. So it's humble yourself before one another. It's speak the truth in love to one another. It's uh, serve one another, and the one that's most frequent is actually love one another, just by far. And there are dozens of those. And so if you return to that, it actually well, how do we do that? What does it look like? It's actually very simple in a way. It's show up. It's discern a need and it's seek to meet that need. And as we make a habit of that in the life of a church, what that does is opens up pathways Mm -hmm. of seeing and understanding uh, what it means to love one another. It opens up pathways of speaking the truth of God's word alongside just meeting practical needs and support. And then that ultimately is a testimony to the world around as to why the church is a different kind of creation, different organization Mm -hmm. than any other social club that's out there, as they might perceive it. Because now they're seeing, well, we're defined by our love for one another. And Jesus said that that's how his disciples would be known, by our love for one another. So a little phrase I like to use, just four words to really summarize this and and cement it in my own heart. It's uh, these four words, proclaim, love, pray, and stay. We proclaim truth to one another, we love one another in practical, tangible ways, we pray for one another, and then we stay in each other's lives. And if over the course of months, years, and even decades at a place like Grace Baptist Church, we could proclaim, love, pray, and stay with one another, then it would transform our gospel witness to the world
0: around us. I look at the when you say love one another I'm thinking of the golden rule what we call the golden rule and do unto others as you would have them do to you I, you know if I want to love somebody what would I like somebody to do for me or to me or what and I, and I think of the idea of leaning in leaning into other people's eyes we are so siloed we make ourselves so siloed so often too often well I don't want to get involved don't want to bother don't want to be a pest but I see the I see the need for us just to lean in and be there. I need that. I'm guessing uh, that you and Ellen need oh, that. Certainly Sandy and I we certainly do. do, but our children as well. Learning kids names. Absolutely. And being purposeful to call kids by their names. That means something to a young person when you or I say, Hey, Johnny, what's going on? And talk to them like they're a real person.
1: That's right. And you, you know what the chief enemy of that? I think in my life right now that is undermining my effectiveness to show love to one another. It's it's busyness and having my nose in my phone far too often. Okay, now now you so, to, now you
0: stop preaching, going to meddling, sir. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm meddling with my own
1: <laughs> life here to say that the the thing that I think really presses in is, is sometimes we just have committed ourselves to so much and so much activity and surely most of the time, overwhelmingly good activity, but sometimes I can, I can miss the best because I'm so wrapped up in the good and the best might be something that feels inconvenient, feels slow, feels even unproductive, but it's actually where the spirit is at work and where eternal fruit could be and that I want to be a part of that. And so along the way, uh, rather than escaping to our text messages and social media apps and all the things, I'm um, trying to tell myself, eyes up there you to go. see
0: people. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay, John, verse 9. <clears throat> Peter mentions that his readers are, he says, they're obtaining the outcome of the faith, the salvation of their souls. Now, I'm thinking that this is probably one of those already and not yet circumstances regarding salvation that we, we hear talked about. Uh, I'm thinking, what a great reminder that we're not only awaiting salvation in the end, but we're being saved right now through Christ's redeeming word every moment of the day. And Peter is reminding us readers that we should take great joy in that truth.
1: Absolutely. I think you're reading it exactly right in the, the, the tenses of salvation. I'm going to go grammar nerd on you for a second here. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Because we started with the context of this passage in your first question, looking at the past tense you have been caused to be born again to a living hope, right? And that's what God has done in in the, the historicity of our conversion in terms of it having a place and a time where God has worked and we went from darkness to light is absolutely true. And then we've already talked about this future hope of knowing our salvation will be made certain one day in this future longing hope that we can look towards. And oftentimes as Christians, we forget exactly what you just pointed out the present tense reality Mm -hmm. of our salvation, that our salvation is sustained moment to moment every day of our lives. Every breath we take in is filled with God's grace in such a way that Peter's affirming this reality that, that our journeys now are characterized certainly imperfectly because we are still simultaneously sinners and saved in Christ not yet made perfect, mm. but in the midst of all that, our salvation is secure and he's
0: producing fruit and he will bring to completion, as Paul said, what he started in us. And I think, probably, at least in my life, I'm guessing it's probably the case in many others. I'm real strong here. I was saved That's right. such and such a time, such and such a time. Some people have the dates. I don't have one of those. I'm going to be with Christ in glory. But getting that current and taking joy in that, I am being saved. He's doing a wonderful work in me now. I too often, you know, don't let him do everything. That I quench the spirit too often, I will say, and uh, don't let him. Don't respond as well to the Holy Spirit's leading as sometimes I wish I did. But I am being saved today. That's right. And I think that's uh, a good thing to lay
1: hold of and and even helpful, I think, in the journey of thinking about the nature of salvation and assurance of salvation. The greatest evidence that you're alive is that you're breathing in front of me right now. Right? And so the greatest evidence of my salvation in Christ is that I am confessing right now, once again, before Bart K. Sheridan, Mm -hmm. that I put my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation, and He's my only hope in life and death, that He will deliver me on the last day. And the evidence I'm saved and was saved back when I was converted in middle school, and I do have one of those stories of where I can remember because I grew Mm -hmm. up in a non-Christian home, well, the most relevant piece of of that storyline is, I'm confessing Christ right now. There you go. And that returns us to that present tense trust in Christ as the evidence of our salvation and our continued pursuit of Him.
0: Okay. We'll wrap up with this, and I hate to wrap up with just a very minor thing, but I hey, let's let's deal with it. And let's, All right. I, I want to. I don't want to skim over what I would call almost a casual mention of angels there in, in verse twelve. Peter says there that there are things into which angels long to look. What in the world is that?
1: Oh man, I love that reference <laughs> because it also connects to something Paul said over in Ephesians mm-hmm. chapter three, where I he's you might talking. Go there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So over in Ephesians chapter 3, starting about in verse 8, he's, Paul's talking about the grace he was given to preach to the Gentiles the riches of Christ and bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he's saying the gospel has been preached and he's been privileged to preach the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, the church is formed by a gathering of disciples together. Mm-hmm. And you know what's happening as that's happening here in our world, in Paul's day, in the city of Ephesus, and with the gathering of Grace Baptist Church thousands of years later, here's what's happening. Verse 10, so that through the church, the wisdom of God might be made known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Hmm. There's something about the way God has revealed his gospel, that now when human beings believe in Christ and gather together as a body, as the collective testimony of Christ to the world around the angels are looking on marveling at it saying, Whoa, look at what's happening because there is the, is Christ manifested to the world around through those disciples gathering together. And so I think what Peter's referencing is to say this, this nature of the outworking of salvation and this plan that the angels surely had some sense of God unfolding across the ages are now seeing the fruit of it, and even they are marveling. And now, here's the profound thing from Ephesians, when we gather as a church on a Sunday morning, that's no ordinary gathering. It's a supernatural thing. God is in our midst. And that is then why Paul goes on to say the watching world around us, the unity of people who would not normally be unified. In Ephesians it was Jew and Gentile. In our day and time, it's socioeconomic classes and races and all sorts of different stripes that we bring to the table. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Me and you, united in Christ. Right. That is inherently a gospel proclamation to the world around us. And so the connection between our salvation and our mission in this world is linked together. And the beautiful thing is the angels are marveling at that. And what a they what can't a prof- understand it. What a profound thing. Right. That's right.
0: Right, I and just I think it would be appropriate at this time to remind people: angels are not deified beings. Angels are created beings. They are not the souls of uh, those gone on who have been made angels. They are created from the very beginning, and they are serving God. They're messengers, and so. But God is using them in ways that we can't even imagine. That's right.
1: Angels are heavenly created spiritual beings. For the purpose of the glory of God, glorifying God through worship, and serving the Lord. And yes.
0: But I look forward then in Revelation, and I see humanity from every tribe and nation lifting up their voices, doing that very thing. And that's going to be the pinnacle of all creation. That's right. That's what it all points to. There you go. Well, John, thanks so much for being here with me. Appreciate your work in preparing and being being ready to talk. It's been a joy. Uh, It's been great, Bart. Thanks for having me. And we'll keep rejoicing. There you go. Very good. We've been Digging Deeper today with John Wood, and we invite you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecederville.org. You can also join us next time. We'll be continuing our study of God's Word. That will be in 1 Peter, starting in verse 13. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecederville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.